This may be going back a few years, but does anybody recognize the name Stephen Lowe? Yeah, you do. I was looking through our old record book here, doing some research on the uh, Maple Lane Cemetery down the road, and was scanning the, uh, the column here for reason of death. And I came across this. Car accident. Two major brain operations to relieve pressure. Never regained consciousness. And then I went back and looked at the uh, birthday. Born February 6, 1956. Died June 23, 1958. Two years, four months, 17 days old. Car accident. How about Keith and Susan Thompson? A little more recent. Twin babies, one stillborn, one lived several hours, premature birth. Oh, by the way, Stephen Lowe is buried here, along with the twins, and uh, I found their graves. Leukemia seems to have taken several children during the 40s through the 70s. Then you have the adults, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, cancer, cancer, heart attack, stroke. <laughs> Old age, there's lots of those too. I'm not trying to be a downer here. But uh, it's at this time of the church year that we, we take a closer look at life and death, you know? And the new beginning, the judgment and the return of Christ. Now, I can barely imagine how it must have felt to have been Stephen Lowe's father or Keith Thompson among the many, many other fathers listed here who lost a child. My kids have made it to 18. And I'm extremely thankful for that. 120 years ago, according to our record book here, 18 would have been a major accomplishment. But you know, children are not immune to the shock and sorrow of the death of loved ones either. I mean, there's a lot of heart failures listed there. Some car accidents. The grandchildren may have wondered if their loved one is safe in heaven. The Thessalonian Christians were still young in their faith when Paul wrote his letter to them. They had a similar concern to what a child would think today. Will my mom, will my dad or grandma be in heaven? And will I see them there? Will I get to heaven? Have I missed out on it somehow? Now as your pastor being the one that you called here to properly handle the scriptures for you, It's my duty, especially towards the end of the church year, to inform your expectations about the future, even if you've been taking care to inform yourself on your own. Because after all, when it comes to eternal life, an uninformed expectation is a hopeless one. So today I'm going to use Paul's letter to the Thessalonians to tell you once again, even if you've heard it before, what happens to you and me when we die. What is the end going to be like? You know, that's another question a child asks. You know, what, what's going to happen to me when I die? When you think about it, the Christian faith is unique in, in, in that when it comes to living forever, it's because of another person. Another person 
made it possible for that to happen. Most, if not all, the misconceptions about an afterlife that I can think of place the ability to live forever on the one who's dying. How many of you have heard or read someone's philosophy like this? Whatever you believe will happen to you when you die is what will really come true. I've heard it. And I don't know about you, but I can think of some pretty pleasant afterlifes I would like after I die. An air show which never ends. A marathon of my favorite movies that repeat and repeat. Or an eternity satisfying my own cravings I dare not reveal. Speaking of movies, there is a movie, not one of my favorites, but it's called Hideaway with Jeff Goldblum where he's this guy, this detective or something, and he, he's on the verge of death and he, he almost dies, so he, he's almost to the afterlife, but he comes back and he brings an evil person back with him who sort of stalks him or something. You know, It's been a while since I've seen it, but what I remember is that there's a concept in there about people who, who have good beliefs about their afterlife will in turn have a good afterlife. And those who have bad thoughts and have done bad things live in torment and agony forever. If you compare this movie's version of the afterlife with the Christian version, it's partly compatible in that the sin of unbelief or disbelief in the Son of God condemns one to an eternity separate from God. And before one thinks to himself, well, that doesn't sound so bad. I don't care for God anyways. He should think again because eternal separation from God equals eternal torment and suffering. You don't get to escape it. You don't get away with it. No person can will themselves into an eternity of bliss either. Reality and truth and life comes from a particular person outside of ourselves. Not me or you or anyone in the movie business. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. And Christianity is a unique worldview because it's His worldview. We put our trust in Him for the most important thing in our lives, life itself. And this letter written long ago still encourages Christians about death and life today. So let's walk through it together and I turn to page 8 and 9 for the epistle reading. Evidently there was some misconception about death and the afterlife with the, uh, with the new believers in Thessalonica. Otherwise, Paul probably wouldn't have addressed it. They seemed to believe that they missed out somehow on Christ's return or that they, they didn't die themselves in time to meet Christ. And so you can see that in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, includes them too, about those who are asleep. That you mean, and, and you know, asleep, it means dead. I, mean, I don't have time to go into all that, but it's, uh, they're not, he, Paul's not talking about uh, uh, sleep apnea or uh, someone who looks like they're uh, dead and they just can't be woken up. He means dead people. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Because, you know, the context here assumes people don't grieve when someone's sleeping. It's hard to pin down exactly but you get the impression they believed they missed out and were losing hope for the future. 
So Paul enlightens their expectation about the future with hope and confidence. And it's based on part, or it's based on a, on a past event of a certain person. Verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Well, I better stop there because Paul's, in that verse there, Paul's giving his hearers hope, a hope-filled expectation of a future event. And the future event is for all of us, the glorious return of Christ. And he lists these events chronologically, and this is how it happens. This is, a, this is where you get, it starts in verse 15. This is what it's going to look like. <clears throat> Verses 15 through 17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We must be careful not to allegorize this or say it's a metaphor for some other event or some other kind of truth because we could be wrong. And where does that leave us if we are? Unless Jesus or an apostle says this is an allegory or it's a dream or a vision and the context tells us it is, we take it at face value. We take it as it is because we know we can trust it's true. And our hope is in what it says and the person behind it. Look, Jesus will come down from heaven. People will see him and they will hear him as he, as he does, as he comes comes back down if you and I have died before this happens we will be raised first from our graves or our urns or the sea or from wherever your family has thrown your ashes about Mount Hood or wherever better hope Jesus doesn't return in the middle of winter when Christ returns are you going to be pretty cold there on Mount Hood then Christians who are still living will be gathered in the air for the triumphal procession. Mind-blowing, to say the least, right? But then again, the end of the world and the ushering in of the new age and the new earth you know, isn't going to be another ho-hum event, is it? It's going to be a once-in-the-history-of-this-world event. You and I can confidently trust God's promise for the future resurrection despite all the misconceptions in our culture and society. And I would also add, in the midst of this crooked and corrupt world, this informed expectation of Christ, Christ's returns brings encouragement. So let it encourage you. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing to you when you hear it and read it for yourselves. But allow me also to encourage you with this hymn in light of the damage the Christian church has suffered this last week with the shooting in Sutherland, Texas. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but our, our new hymnal, the Lutheran Service Book, 
actually has a hymn in it for just such a time as that. For, 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 for just an, such an occasion as murder. It's called When Aimless Violence Takes Those We Love. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'll let Keith sing his little song during his presentation. But here's, here are the words. I don't think we've ever, we, we've never sung this hymn here yet. When aimless violence takes those we love, when random death strikes childhood, childhood's promise down, when wrenching loss becomes our daily bread, we know, O oh God, you leave us not alone. When passing years rob sight and strength and mind, yet fail to still a strongly beating heart, and grief becomes the fabric of our days, dear Lord, you do not stand from us apart. Our faith may flicker low, and hope may grow dim, yet you, O oh God, are with us in our pain. You grieve with us and for us day by you grieve with us and for us day by day, and with us sharing sorrow will remain. Because your son knew agony and loss, felt desolation, grief and scorn and shame, we know you will be with us, come what may, your loving presence near, always the same. Through long grief darkened days, help us, dear Lord, to trust your grace for courage to endure to rest our souls in your supporting love and find our hope within your mercy sure. Encouraging words to be sure and may the Holy Spirit encourage you with his peace from Christ which comes only from him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.